I was super blown away by him because he was such a hard hitter mm-hmm. and he was on time, you know, kept it in the pocket for as much as you can. I overplay like a motherfucker. I know this. <laughs> Matt, how's it going? Welcome to the Question and the Answers podcast. Hello, Andy. I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, but uh, you know we're we're starting to see a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel with this whole crazy pandemic with vaccinations happening and whatnot. This so, is true. This is true. Yeah. So li- life is kind of starting to feel a little bit better in that regard. So, um, you know, Matt, uh, this is Matt Cotty, who. Uh, People may recognize him from the various bands that he's been in over the years, as well as the photography that he has been doing for, gosh, I mean, you've been doing photography now for what, a couple of decades now? Yeah, I started in high school, uh, my junior year. So that would have been um, 1998. I don't know if it was first semester or second semester, so it could have been 99. I graduated in 2000, but yeah, around that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, I mean, so, so, you know, there are plenty of places where people may recognize your name. Uh, but let's go down the list. I mean, you've been in a number of bands over the years. Most recently, you were you were in a project called Whole Hog, which is based out of the Sacramento area, kind of mm-hmm. a hardcore punk uh, band. And then you're also in a band called Monster Squad, which is the band that you've been in the longest, right? Correct. Since yeah. uh, January of '97. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you know, kind of like a like a street punk band. You know, I'm sure that's mm-hmm. probably where most people recognize you from at this point. Um, but then you've also been in Great Apes, uh, which is, you know, Bay Area based band. Uh, Brian Moss was a guest recently. Um, mm-hmm. And then you also in Build Us Airplanes, who uh, mm-hmm. I've worked with you uh, with uh, Sell the Heart Records. I'm mm-hmm. uh, very familiar with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's a few other projects that you've been involved with over the years. Yeah, correct? yeah. Um, I could give you the, the short uh, list or it's not it's not too many more, but um I had a band around oh, Jesus, 2000, 2001 called West at Seven, which was very much not in the punk. It was actually my only, that was my second band from Monster Squad. And it was, could not have been farther away from punk. Um, but it was good because, I mean, uh, at that point in my life, I was getting back into the other music that I honestly got rid of as a result of getting into punk as a young kid. Um, you know, most of the shows we would play were all with like rock bands in the, in like, um, I guess Dredge is their closest, uh, easiest comparison. And we, you know, we were lucky in school, we got to play with them a few times, but those type of bands we were playing with. And it was funny because, you know, our first show in Vacaville, some young punk kids showed up because they had heard I was playing and uh, they came with an open mind, wasn't their thing, but at least they showed up. That was really cool. Um, so West of Seven, yeah, and actually Dave Goss, who is in Build Us Airplanes, and actually played guitar in Monster Squad for a very short time, uh, was a guitar player in West at Seven. And that was kind of he and I's baby uh, at the end of our senior year of high school. Like, we need to make a band that's like in that radio heady rock, doves type of thing. Um, and our friend Damien and Gustavo Martinez, who later played bass in Peligro Social and does the, uh, he's a tattoo artist in Oakland as a sleeping ghost uh, line. Anyway, I'll stop name drop, name dropping for my friends. But yeah, so West at Seven, Anne Ramsey was the predecessor to uh, Build Us Airplanes. Mm. Um, Jay from Monster Squad was also in Anne Ramsey. Um, and we have Build Us Airplanes. There's a short project with um, Eric Erbach and Megan from Punch slash Super Unison called No Secrets, K-N-O-W. Um, we did an EP together. It was It was kind of like Eric's band, you know, Um, not like Eric's band, but, you know, those were his songs. And and I believe Megan co-wrote to, I I forget, honestly, but um, that was different for me because I was kind of stepping into song structure that was already formed, which was cool. It was a new thing. And also Eric's a longtime friend. I became better friends with Megan as a result. So that was awesome. Um, But I'm very much of like, I want to be there for the birth and the creation of a song. Um, to be more like emotionally invested but that was cool I got to practice some different chops in that group and also play with different style of bands that band kind of played with more hardcore bands um, I guess in short it was kind of kind of a rocky Queens of the Stone Age ish ish thing um, with Eric on vocals um, 
and then that's kind of it yeah great apes started around the same time those airplanes started to play less but only because i moved from vacaville to san francisco great apes happened by kind of accident we can go into that if that's any of interest how that happened um and then yeah we stopped playing just because people moved you know right i mean it was a it was a pipe dream to think and i did think i could move to sacramento so great apes started in san francisco i moved to oakland other folks moved and then i moved to sacramento in 2018 i was like ah, oh, we could probably still practice like once a month driving to secret studios and it's like reality comes in it's like dude i'm not 20 anymore i'm not down to drive well i would love to say only two hours but realistically you know much longer from sacramento to san francisco to play with them um so uh, I, I will probably never call great apes a broken up band uh, because there's just no point of saying that but ultimately yeah we had a last show but um you know distance so and then whole hog yeah whole hog is the newest thing where i'm on the bass guitar for the first time which is very interesting <laughs> flexing new uh muscles that i didn't know well i did know i i did play before i just i'd never played bass in a band before i played by myself so so yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, your transition to playing bass uh, with Whole Hog because you'd been a drummer for so long uh, in all these other bands. And I was curious, you know, with switching over to the bass, was that something that you did as a conscious effort or was that more out of necessity? Sure. Well, um, I was very lucky in that like my mom's household was the neighborhood practice spot way back in high school. Um, there's another group called Dead End Generation who, um, you know, there was Monster Squad and Dead End Generation in Vacaville at that time. And we were the brother, brother bands, whatever you want to call it. And so everyone practiced there. That being said, everyone's gear was also there. So I picked up the bass, picked up the guitar. Dave Goss um, taught me a lot of cool things back then. I mean, I still play the same, you know, five Aussie and Metallica songs on guitar that Dave Goss taught me way back when. So I always had the desire to play bass or guitar in a band, but I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't create the time and I definitely didn't like, well, I think that's it. I just didn't create the time to put it out there to the world that, Hey, like I know I'm the drummer and like, I will live and die on the hill of being a drummer. Like that's, that's who I am. But at the end of the day, I still would like to call myself just a musician. Um, so how a whole hog thing happened was Jason, um, who also sings in a band called Decoy. We've known for a very long time um, with Doug, who was in a bunch of bands. Um, Brain Rash was one of them. He used to play bass in a band called Pipe Down, which is more of a hardcore band from way back. Um, and funny, Monster Squad even played with them. Jesus, in 98, 99, of Skate Park Benefit Show. Uh, but by the time it got built, most of us didn't skate anymore or didn't feel so comfortable skateboarding. Um, and then Bo plays drums, plays another band called Syndrome, probably got this as well. Anyway, Jason had come over last, I'll just say 2019 Thanksgiving time, something like that, to kick it or something like that, just just, just him. And uh, yeah, he said, yeah, I got a new thing going with, you know, two of the friends. I said, oh, that's cool. Let me show me a demo. And he happened to have um, uh, just an iPhone recording of the first track on the LP, which is called Burden. And um, yeah. I was like, that is pretty, really, that's really good. And then he dropped the bomb of, we don't have a bass player yet. I think he said they had somebody in mind. I don't really recall. And then, and I've known this, I've known Jason for 15 or so years. And I was like, I'm not one to really like be like, hey, can I get in on that? Or I don't know how to say it, strike that. I, it was odd of me to say, I think it was odd of me to say, I play bass. I would like to play bass in that after he said they did not have a bass player because I didn't know he'd say we, we just have a bass player and then normally I feel like I would have been like oh dang we'll hope you find one but dude the song was so sick I just like I play bass and but in the back of my head I was like yeah I do but I haven't picked up my bass in 10 plus years so you know he's like oh I had no idea I was like oh yeah I wouldn't expect you to know because I don't I don't go around advertising that, but also I don't consider myself a bass player. I'm someone who can play the bass. Um, but I didn't know what I was signing myself up for because Doug, our guitar player, is a bass player. Mm. He's a shredder. He really is. And he plays complicated riffs. And, you know, so um, that was, yeah, late holiday season in 2019. 
they had already set a recording date for January 12th of 2020 to record the tape. And we all agreed and myself, you know, there was no convincing. I didn't play bass on that album. Doug played bass on that album. There's no way I was going to learn those songs in that time frame, short of a time frame, to play at his caliber. I mean, probably half of them, yeah, probably could have, but the couple, you know, the other half, or like you would have been able to tell that I just like just repicked it back up, or maybe not. Who knows? But um, so that's how that happened. It was really cool. It was purely by accident. I'll be honest, I was super nervous to show up for that first practice. Like, definitely had to go get myself like a Red Bull beforehand to make sure I had the energy because I just it's a different muscle and like doing that, like galloping, picking, like the, you know, that's hard. You know, it's hard. It was easy when I was 15, 16 (laughs) playing in my bedroom, but uh, at, at then 38 years old, um, you know, it was keeping that like stride up was, was pretty difficult. The fingering part. I don't, I don't struggle with so much. It's really just the picking. So, right. Yeah. So it happened out of a, they happen to be a bass player and I happen to really love the song he showed me. We're all old friends. The other three guys, the other two guys, uh, when Jason told them, they were like, oh, cool. That sounds great. Let's give it a shot. And there you go. So that's, that's awesome. I mean, I, I love the idea of being able to join in another band, you know, doing uh, or playing an instrument or playing a part in that band that you're not as comfortable with, because I think it does like present a, a new challenge. And like it, mm-hmm. it's not to say that like, you know, there aren't already challenges with the instrument that you're already comfortable with because every band is going to be different. I mean, I mean, mostly different, I would say. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. Because even like, you know, the bands that you've been in where you have been playing drums, like Monster Squad is very different than Great Apes and Great Apes mm-hmm. is very different than Build Us Airplanes and, you know, and all around that that triad as well as now you have Whole Hog. I mm-hmm. mean, stylistically, sonically, just completely different shades of punk you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know i I think that that's awesome that you've had that experience and um you know to to your your what you were talking about with you know you had uh you recorded half of the tracks and then uh he recorded the other half i mean that's sorry he he record he recorded all of them oh he recorded all all of them okay i didn't play a lick on there yeah i'm just saying um i probably could have i probably could have and it would have been okay but the ones that were fancy they're fancy. And, you know, let's just say I'm still working out some of those, those, uh, those, those licks, those tasty licks. Well, what I was going to say was like, you know, I've, I've been in bands where I've been in that position before too, where, you know, uh, there might be a person um, who plays a certain role in the band and, you know, whether or not because of like the circumstance of the riff or like the, mm-hmm. the chord arrangement or like the speed or like whatever, I mean, every once in a while, there might need to be like a, hey, I'm going to tag you in on this so that you can do this, you know, for the, rec- for the recording, you know? Totally. And mm-hmm. that can be a very like tricky line to walk down because some people like wear that as like this, like, you know, kind of a, a hit at their, their, their pride almost, you know, like, a oh, yeah. go. and um, I mean, out of curiosity, I mean, like, was that ever in question? I mean, with this? No, or, no, no. I mean, it, I knew going in, I mean, let's just pretend I, you know, Jason and I, I think it was around Thanksgiving time recording this book for January 12th. Mm, right. So, yeah, I mean, sure. I could have spent every single day practicing in December up to, up to that point, but it's just, we all, it wasn't even a, didn't bother me one bit. I went, I went to the recording session. I took photographs, you know, Doug blasted out all the guitars and then he plugged in, did all the bass and it, you know, it's, it's, what is best for the art? And that was that. If that had been the drums, then you would have had a had a bummed out Matt. Because I'd be like, mother, seriously, man. Because I've heard that story. There was a band that had gotten signed, you know, a Contra Costa County band in the early 2000s. And drummer is a friend. And he comes in. He's like, dude, came into the studio. Someone else is sitting at the kit. He had already done his tracks. Oh, man. No, this is rock and rock, you know, rock and roll, big label stuff. I think I know who you're talking about. You don't have to name any names, but so like, dude, that was that was that was a gut check, and that was a reality check. Is what that was for me. I wasn't even in the band. I was just like, whoa, man, that's that's how that goes. He's like, that's how that goes. He's like, I don't even know until I showed up. I've I've definitely heard that story before too. I I mean, I've yeah, I've, I've heard of a number of bands that happened yeah like even even not major label bands like even right smaller, 
like or like bigger indie ba- indie label sure, bands sure. that have happened that yeah right yeah and i mean at the end of the day it truly is what is the best thing for the i hate calling it i'm a product <laughs> i recall the first time i heard that and i was like you're old you suck <laughs> but it i mean at the end of the day it really it's it's art but yes so it's a marketable art piece that you have to, it is which technically makes it makes it a product right um yeah but um that was such a reality check um but I, to go back to like when you were commenting on the like, different bands being different styles i wanted to say too like Monster squad great apes little surplanes uh whole lot, all those things i honestly i would love to be able to put out a swedish hardcore style ep of just Flat, you know, fast mob 47 fee fan type stuff, and uh, you know, uh, DC hardcore style band, just bust out these random EPs of uh, just quick projects, nothing stressful. But I honestly never thought I would play in another like hardcore slash punk band similar enough to Monster Squad. Um, I thought that for a long, long time. So, like, being able to kind of luckily accidentally get into this whole hog thing and then to be on base and like have a new dynamic has been super, super exciting for me. I'm way, way into it. And also touching back on the dynamics of band. It's like, I'm like you said, like I've only been a drummer in a band. So now I'm stepping into someone else's shoes and I try to mind how I give advice to our drummer, Bo, who's a fucking time ninja, like he, human, human metronome, super great drummer. And a couple of years ago at some other random show I was at in Sacramento at Castle de Chaos, his other band Syndrome was playing. And I definitely gave him like the, after the show, like, dude, you're so good. Like, oh my God, I'm so stoked to see a great punk drummer. And uh, he might've been like, yeah, dude, who are you? Which is fine. Uh, but I was super blown away by him because he was such a hard hitter and he was on time, you know, kept it in the pocket for as much as you can. I overplay like a motherfucker. I know this. <laughs> I dialed it back. This took me a long time. Anyway, so like when I'm in this dynamic room, this room of whole hog, and like these three, this is these three guys' band, right? I mean, it's not, I don't feel that way, but you know, when you're walking into it as a as a new bass player who's never played bass in a band, you know, I try to be like mind boundaries as much as I can. But also I'm very much like I love being a part of the process. I love giving feedback. Um, I'm always going to suggest a little pause here and there or a grab, you know, just to throw a dynamic in there. And you just like being in any band, it's a new relationship. So you start to really learn how you can, cannot communicate with somebody, um, which is a whole other process. I mean, you know, Great Apes is a great example, a great example of that. I mean, Brian works super, super freaking fast. Like in the beginning, it was really hard for me. Like, how do you just Okay, cool. That's the verse. Okay, cool. That's the chorus. What? Monster Squad writes extremely slow. Mm-hmm. This is how we operate. We do not crank out jams. The 10, 12 songs in an album, that's it. There's no B-sides floating around. <laughs> it's nothing. I mean, back in high school, yeah, there was 40, 50 songs of, you know, verse, chorus, verse called a day. Right. You know, um, but uh, so anyway, and it's, yeah, so it's interesting to like when I, when Great Apes was starting to write write more and more it's like, wow we could we in uh i don't know five years of a band six years i forget well i guess it'd be about eight um but of releasing records you know we put out the same amount of content as monster squad did in almost 20 right but also we're older and more i hate using the word seasoned but you know we're all we, not our first rodeo kind of thing so i guess i'm just talking about the the interesting dynamic and how the different relationships play out. Every band is different and how you talk to someone. It's, it's helpful to be mindful. I've never been in a band where it's like, this is my band and I will never be in a band. I will never be in that band. No, thank you. I mean, unless like, I mean, if Jason Willer has to take a step aside and you know, Jello needs me, it's fine. I'll be there. I'll show up. Don't worry. But um, anyway, yeah. Well, digress. You know, I, I I can definitely relate to what you're you're talking about with respect to like the different bands because I've been I've been I mean I've been in I th- I think grand total like I mean like I think ten bands in my lifetime mm-hmm. you know, different groupings mm-hmm. of people like within a different band dynamic and you're totally right I mean every single one of them is different with the with the way that it, communication and 
writing happens and the speed uh velocity you know like the just like the way that you structure a song and like who's going to take the lead and like mm-hmm. how many people are we going to allow to write a song or do we only rely on one person as like the main songwriter and mm-hmm. you know i mean I, i'd love for you to to kind of chime in on this with your with your opinion being somebody who's been a drummer for so long in a couple of different bands i know that as somebody who's been a bass player in bands as well as a guitar player and i've, I've been a saxophone player as well i've never been a drummer but as somebody who was a bassist for a long time I feel like there is like this kind of connection between bass players and drummers in particular, like with the way that they have to communicate with each other. And I, I would be curious to know, like, how do you feel that that translated to you switching from drums to bass? And like, do you think that that's like, I guess something that came like maybe more naturally to you uh, uh, switching over in that regard, or, or do you feel like that's just not like a thing? Like, I think, no, I do think it's, I, of course, I think it's a thing. I mean, you can see it in the live shows of wh- whatever bands who have that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the ones that come to mind right now, I mean, Fugazi, one of them. Totally. You know, that connection. Um, and, you know, this might be outside of some people's realms, but ex- Mars Volta, 100%. Oh. Um, and I was, well, I almost saw them in a really small club, but then they canceled. Uh, but I've seen them a, a quite a few times and it's always just fucking staring at each other doing that thing you know and it's so cool to see that i mean you know you might have less of that in like a hardcore punk band but it still exists i'm still trying to navigate that like but i do find myself lately as i'm getting more comfortable at practice and we've also we've never played a show so that's another thing right we should, um actually next week would have been our one year anniversary of our first show album release show but anyway yes i do believe that dynamic is 100 real it should be real if it's not then i don't know maybe the band doesn't need it or maybe the, the bass player and drummer need to like work on their relationship together because me and justin in monster squad the bass player i definitely feel we have that relationship have that relationship you know there would be certain accents that we would just he and i would do you know it could just be like a gung no one else is doing it, but he and I are doing it. Um, and it always feels cool. It feels great when you know, or you don't know, is he going to remember to do it this time? <laughs> right. Because it's not on the recording, but we do it for the live show. Right. Which is something, which is something uh, quite a while ago in Monster Squad's time that we would, you know, try to add a little live version, but keep it tasteful. <laughs> like, you know, we're not queen like dragging out the extended and we love queens be clear about that extended version right with it do the chorus six times because they really want to hear it like no just just tasteful little tidbits here and there um but with whole hog yeah i guess i'm trying to figure that out yeah but i find myself leaning in more towards the kit lately Mm. and giving the look like this thing you know much like i would with monster squad because i know there's you know certain cues that maybe get forgotten on a somewhat regular basis. And I do my best to always remember them 100% of the time. And I know everyone else does too. Um, but there's always these things that like, you know, the one uh, transition, the one bridge that I'll just make it up, the singer or the, or the guitar player have forgotten since day one. Mm-hmm. And the song could be fucking 10, 15 years old. And I'm still gonna nod at you while we're playing at the live show. Like here's the, <laughs> it's coming now. Yeah. You should know by now, but it's fine that you don't. You're never going to remember because now it's just like stuck. In, you're expecting to forget, you know? So, yeah, you, you know, I, <laughs> I, I feel like historically uh, most, not all, but I'd say most of the bands that I've been in, uh, drummers are typically very good at remembering. I mean, well, I mean, it all starts with the drummer. It all starts with the beat, you know? And I mean, it has to start from there. Yeah. And everything else is built on top of it. Um, so I think that it's it's so important that drummers remember like the fine little small things uh, because mm-hmm. that's kind of what makes songs sometimes. I mean, um, like for instance, you know, I've, I've, I've played with plenty of drummers who are very musically minded. Like they're, they're not just like rhythm minded, they're like musically minded. So mm-hmm. they, you know, talk about like, like Gabe in, in, in Tsunami Bomb, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, he comes up with really great ideas for like the song, like the guitar or the drum parts or like the vocal parts. Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, I've had drummers in the past, like my buddy Terrence, like same, same idea. My, my, my friend Buddy back in the day, my friend Mac back in the day, like 
all these guys like i think that it's important to remember that the drummer is a musician like the drummer is not just playing the the, the yeah. beat. like they add mm-hmm. to the musicality and and the musical quality of any song that's being put together um i do think that there are a lot of bands that don't always do that successfully um mm-hmm. at least consistently um and i mean it doesn't necessarily make them any worse or any better i just i i think that maybe i just i tend to be a little bit more i gravitate more towards bands where i see that happening and i hear it like those those little things that happen that you can tell like the bassist and the drummer like really Mm -hmm. came up with they're like dude we're gonna do this here and we're only gonna do it once but it's gonna happen once and it's gonna send everything off in like a direction you know yeah i feel like it's it's something as simple as like here's a great photograph but it has no contrast Mm-hmm. boost the contrast a little bit like darken the darks lighten up the lights <clears throat> sharpen it a little bit sure that's that's kind of that relationship and i mean so the photograph itself would be the song right great song great photograph but let's let's add some spoof on there and that makes a huge difference but yeah yeah totally no, agree. I, I mean that's a great analogy and and actually that that kind of leads me into uh the next part of what i wanted to talk to you oh, about. so i mean don't call it a segue i'm sorry we'll, don't call it a segue we'll call it a segue don't call <laughs> it a segue um so you've been a, an active photographer now for quite a long time you said back yep. in like the the late 90s and you know so you actually you know have a, a pretty vast portfolio and you've you've done a, a lot of really cool work i mean you work and have worked with like winston smith who's you know famously you know uh uh, done like a lot of work with like the alternative tentacles and the you know he's famous for like mm-hmm. the dead kennedy's logo and mm-hmm. a bunch of the artwork on like dead, dead kennedy's records and mm-hmm. not to mention other stuff as well but yeah um but you know so you've done a lot of you know obviously like concert photography but then you do other types of photography as well right yeah um i mean it's i guess depending on where i'm at in life will will make me decide if i want to pursue it as like a source of income mm-hmm. which i have done um I did it for a couple of years in San Francisco. Um, you know, random, it's just you're freelancing. Yeah. And I'm not by any means saying I'm an expert freelancer. No way. I mean, I from headshots to photographing a rich person's art um up on California Street in San Francisco to driving down to SFO to photograph a like stone company who's having a private event for people who want to buy fancy countertops. Hmm. You know, like um, probably other weird stuff too, but it's always, I mean, it's an art for me and much like drumming or playing in a band, it will always be a thing that I do no matter what, no matter if a paycheck is involved. Um, yeah, I've done weddings, corporate headshots, uh, show up to a business district in Santa Clara, set up your light, bam, bam, peace out, collect a paycheck, say bye. Okay, cool. Um, nothing gratifying, but at the end of the day, I had to remind myself, cool, that was really easy money and it helped me pay for my next lens or whatever. Or at the time I'm not working, which when I was freelanced, freelancing, um, I forget if I had been laid off or if I quit whatever I was doing, it doesn't, I don't remember, but it was extremely rewarding to find out that I could pay my way through life with a piece of art. Um, then you, then you also, or I, and I'm sure lots of folks do too, go into the battle of like, do I want my art to be my job? Mm. It's still a battle I have because I'm, I'm confident in my abilities as a photographer, but I'm not confident in my desire to make it my day job. You know, I mean, so yeah, so that's that. Um, lost my train of thought. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was, but yeah. I was, I was about to ask you, like, I mean, what, so what really got you into photography? I mean, was, was it something that was more born out of just like a, like a desire outside of the music world or, or did this start as like doing show photography, you know, and then it kind of blossomed from that. So um, the short version is I was always like the kid that walked around school with a sketchbook in his hand, Hmm. Um, you know, knock off puss head drawings, um, I literally have a full sketchbook of just Beavis and Butthead drawings from, I'm going to guess like 94, 95 comic book drawings. You know, I grew up, I grew up collecting comic books too. 
so sometime around my sophomore or junior year, um, you know, confidence was not at its highest. Let's just say that much as a teenager, family stuff, uh, punk happening and realizing what it's like to be, uh, um, except for your local circle, of course, I was very lucky to have uh, be, you know, spit on by the rest of the for a little town you live in, you know, for looking the way you look. So without going too deep into that, <clears throat> I just, I, I became, I'm not a good artist. Mm. It was my first, like, I'm a, I'm a shitty drawer. I wasn't a shitty drawer. I was a great illustrator and I think I still am, but 16 year old Matt didn't know that, mm. you know? Um, so at the same time, I kind of made a, I don't know if I made a choice, like put the pencil and pen down and stop drawing in my sketchbooks, which thankfully I still have. I didn't get rid of that stuff. Um, I don't recall what showed me the camera. One of my best friends, Martin Steiner, he was, I think, I think he had taken a photo class. I don't know. He, I'm just going to make up that he was the reason I, uh, and yeah, sure. I'll take photo class. He was also one grade above me. Mm. Um, actually, no, we had photo class together. So that's not true. Um, but anyway, I decided to take photo class my junior year. My great-grandmother, Dorothy, let me have her Canon AE-1, which was, oddly enough, the camera she used to photograph all of us with when I was a little kid, um, which I still have. And yeah, I took to it really quick. Uh, my photo teacher, Tom Ray, Mr. Ray, who we're still friends, which is awesome. <laughs> He's uh, just a blues guy who likes his rock and roll. And he saw, you know, the punk kid, Coming from the rock and roll world, we kind of broke down on Jimi Hendrix a little bit, you know, and um, he, I remember something he had said early on is he was the first person to say that me and my friends have an interesting life hmm. and that I should be documenting it. I wish I had documented it more than I did, though I did a pretty good, I think I, you know, I could have done more, but that would have required more money, more film, had no money, hence no more film. But I was the TA. I mean, I had him for like four, sometimes four periods a day. I mean, I, as much as I could be in that photo class, I was in that photo class. I would go straight to photo class from the previous class instead of waiting in the hall for your seven minute, whatever it is, you know, so I could start developing. So by, by the time I sat at my desk, my, my film was already hanging up and, and you know, being developed. Um, so I can, because I wanted to get in there and start printing right away. And yeah, it was really powerful for him to say, like, you and your friends, you know, all you punk kids, basically, you look cool. It's basically what he was saying. You guys look interesting. You should document that. And I did. But also, since it was just us, it just felt like this is normal. Right. Not a big deal. So, yeah, I wish I had done more. Um, but, you know, you can't do anything about that. I can't go back in time and re-photograph us as teenagers. Not yet, um, at least. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but Mr. Mr. Ray, again, this comes down, man, this really comes down to having that cool teacher, which if you want to go backwards and backwards, it was just how I got into punk from my junior high art teacher, who I'm still friends with. I mean, my junior high art teacher, Miss Brasher, who has a song on... Sorry about that. Okay. Yeah, my junior high art teacher, Miss Brasher, Wendy Brasher, uh, I think track three on the last Great Apes album is called St. Brasher about teachers like her who like just take time to take time to care and say like you know whatever you're doing is really cool and you should do more of that and then you go wow cool i'm not a loner um and then it goes from there but yeah it started with shooting the friends and then the random couple gilman shows that uh our our friend holly would drive us to our singer phil's then girlfriend from monster squad we'd five of us in a fucking geo metro awesome <laughs> sometimes six from vacaville to berkeley and um there's a few shows i oh man i regret so hard not bringing my camera to and i just it wasn't in my mind at that time like to take your camera everywhere right. los crudos is one of those oh, oh yeah <laughs> yeah i mean my first show there fyp actually i don't know if i was shooting then but i don't know so anyway yeah so it started with the front. It started with a supportive teacher. It started with the friends documenting us being, you know, punks drinking forties and stuff like that, and staging stupid photographs like 
we'd stage like a Mortal Kombat fight in like the living room. Like, oh, you're Johnny Cage. I'm, I'm Raiden. Let me take a picture of you doing an uppercut. Like, it's so dumb. But that picture is hilarious. I don't even know if that was the genesis of this specific photograph, but it's hilarious to look back on because now the guy getting kicked in the face is a father of three. His son's 19 and we're friends. And I'm trying to help him out with music. Yeah. Whatever I can. So that's where my love for photo started was friends yeah and mr red i think that's really awesome and i mean like you're speaking to the idea that you had this teacher that like really you know just kind of inspired you and i mean that's that's so important i mean i mean it's it's kind of like it's like something out of like a weird like john hughes film you know something it is some weird cliche like trope or it's like yeah hey tommy you know blah 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 like i got you i'm the cool teacher and it's like a lot of people don't really ever experience that. Like I have friends who say that, you know, I mean, they, maybe they're just full of shit and they haven't really copped up to it. And maybe there was a teacher that, that actually inspired them. But I have friends who just like, Oh yeah, dude, like I hated school. School was garbage. Fucking didn't get a single thing out of it. And I'm glad it's over. Mm-hmm. But like, I can speak to my own experience. Like I had several teachers that I thankfully was like, dude, this teacher is awesome. And I'm so glad that I had them and not Mm -hmm. like say a bunch of these other types of teachers that I'm just like, I didn't really learn anything from you, you know, like, yeah, you didn't inspire me. I know that you were just kind of, I mean, like I give nothing but credit where credit's due to teachers. It's a hard fucking job, you know? So it's not to knock anyone who's ever been a teacher or who is a teacher, Sure, but um, it's like those moments that can really make a huge impact in Mm -hmm. a kid's life are really valuable. And Mm -hmm you know, it doesn't have to be like this Kodak or I'm sorry, Hallmark moment where it's just like, you know, Matt, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you should really document this stuff. Like it doesn't have to be like mm-hmm. this weird, inspiring sun beating down you type of moment. It can be something as simple as like, yeah, man, like you guys has a cool thing going. Like you should just take some photos, you know? Yep. And like, even something as casual as that can be like this big epic moment. Oh yeah. So that's great. I have recognized that. Yeah. I have two other ones I want to bring up really, really quick while we're on the topic of teachers. So um, I was fortunate enough to live in Hawaii as a kid. Um, uh, we moved there uh, for work purposes, military. And um, <clears throat> kindergarten, you know, we had music class. I think her name was Miss Yamada. And uh, I always grabbed the symbols in music class. And she had pointed out how cool that was. Awesome. Check box number one. Mm-hmm. I grabbed the thing that, I don't know, I'll just try this. And I gravitated towards it. I had a set of bongos before that. Maybe that's maybe that's why. And then in third grade, Miss Lendio, she was teaching us how to dance, like the electric slide and the running rap, uh, running man, and the Roger Rabbit. And she was also teaching us um, a little bit of Spanish. And I forget if it was her, but maybe a little bit of Hawaiian also. Um, but she was one of those first teachers to do the whole like kind of like pull you aside and pay. A little bit of extra attention to you because you could tell that um, what she was showing me was really registering and I was really stoked on it. And um, she's been a teacher that I've always, she's Miss Lendio and Miss Brasher, the junior high art teacher. They're very similar to me in their impact, even though Miss Lendio I haven't seen since third grade. Um, but it's just her story. This the short version I just told just made such a huge impact on me. Um, and we did find each other on the internet recently and I like lost my shit just seeing someone who you have not seen in who knows how many years and she's a photographer now. <laughs> awesome. So anyway, yeah, it's pretty damn cool. That yeah. Inspiring cool. teachers, man. It, it, they really go. Yeah. Another one last one about <laughs> teacher on the, to- on the topic of teacher. So my senior year, we had a new government teacher named Mr. Davis. Mr. Davis, I think had, he went to our high school, Vacaville, went to college, came back to his high school. He had a younger brother who was just a year older than me. So I'm like, oh, Paul's older brother. What's up? We became friends. We're still friends. One day he goes, hey, punk rock kid. You want to go to Gilman with me this weekend? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, well, there's a band you might like. They're called At The Drive and they're pretty tight. I was like, no, nah, I haven't heard of them. I was like, I've heard of them, but I, I, I was like, I've heard of them, but now I'm good. Like, I don't, I don't know who that is. I don't, I don't listen to them. Not because I hadn't, I, I legitimately hadn't heard them. Right. 
And at that point, I was probably like, eh, I see those album covers. Nah, not my thing. I was only looking for like hardcore crust, DB, right. Spike studs, big ass boots at that point. Not at the drive. And um, <laughs> not at the drive. However, I was like getting back into that stuff at that point. I was just like, nah, it's, it's I think I was like, nah, it's cool, man. But he let me borrow Relationship of Command. I don't even know if it was out yet. It might have just come out, but he let me borrow in Casino out. I think that weekend before you know and i come back to school on monday and i was like fuck how was the show yeah you know obviously it was really good right and then they then they came through one more time i didn't know about it next time they came through and they broke up and that was that <laughs> so anyway yeah shout out to government teachers brian yeah. davis back of high school solid dude <laughs> yeah I, I think i i think i've told the story before but like my i i had a little story about at the drive-in uh before they kind of blew up they were supposed to play at this like all-day punk festival out in manteca california and it was mm -hmm. my freshman year in college and i i had never heard of them didn't know the name i was there to see like a bunch of a bunch of other bands were playing like link 80 was playing like mm -hmm. uh uh the blast bandits play like sandwich mafia played wet nap played um but bunch oh. of bands yeah and at the drive-in was supposed to be like the last band that played and i got like a sticker from them and like i i think i introduced myself to like the whoever was running the merch you know i, I think it was somebody from the band but they had been on like this long tour and i i want to say that in casino out had come out like they were still on fearless at that point mm -hmm. um the show kept getting pushed back and pushed back uh, because bands were kind of like taking their time and then eventually curfew hit and at the drive-in didn't play and mm. needless to say they were pissed and Every, like everyone else was just like eh, whatever like because i don't think anyone really knew who they were at that point mm -hmm. at least the people that i knew didn't know them and then of course like you know like a year later or something like that two years later like you find out who they are and you're like oh yeah. <laughs> like i could have seen them in like this like tiny little club in like manteca you know of all places yeah you know? that's but, really funny because it turns out they had played at armio high school which is in fairfield oh really yeah next to vacaville Yep. And Vacaville, we would have lunchtime shows from time. Actually, I saw Dredge at my high school. Hmm. Actually, it wasn't a lunchtime show. I should be correct. Yeah, but they played a nighttime show at the high school on the stage. Blah, 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 blah. This guy, Tim Carson, was setting up these shows. And um, yeah, something about the Apple Driving Show came up at Armio High School. An old friend of mine, she was like, oh, yeah, I went there. Why weren't you there? I'm like, I didn't know who they were back then, but damn. Yeah. Fucking A. But, you know, whatever. It is what it is. This is yeah, how it goes. I mean, I, I got to see him like years and years later. Yeah. When they did like their reunion and like, it was great. I mean, I totally. Yeah, me too. It. It awesome. I saw the Warfield shows. Yeah. Yeah. But I would, I would have, I mean, dude, like when you look back at like that footage, you're just like, geez, dude, like yeah, <laughs> what a show that must've been. And it's funny. So when Mars Volta had just come out, I was working at the guitar center in Concord for way too long. Mm. And I went to tower or Rasputin's or whatever it was called at that time. I think it was Pat Libby working or it might've been Keith from punch. They both worked there. If I remember correctly. I walked in, I was like, you guys have any Mars Volta? And they're just like, how do you know about that band? Because Tremulant had just come out. Oh, uh, okay. So yeah. it was still like a little, like it was a secret. Right. How do you know about that band? <laughs> like, I don't know, because I got the driving. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's no, that's killer. Well, I mean, speaking of Vacaville, so I mean, I know that you're a you're a you're a little famous for like having a little cameo in the uh the that Papa Roach video. For, it is uh, the Papa Roach video, yeah, Last Resort. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, if um, if anyone wants to do a little snooping, just check out um, uh, what's the, oh, I, I can't think of the song. Just name. look up Last Resort. It's called Last, Last Resort. Resort. That's right. Yeah. yeah, you will see my high school bedroom, the house, that's right? The house that Monster Squad was born in, pretty much. <laughs> um, that's right. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's I mean, funny. I uh, I, I learned about that like years later, and I was just like, yeah. oh shit, that's Matt Cotty, and then, like, sure enough, I'm like, oh, sweet. <laughs> I actually looked up that house uh, recently because it, it, it had gotten sold. Mm. So, you know, like a 39-year-old, I look at Zillow's and Redfin's and all those stupid real estate websites for fun. Yeah. Old. And I, yeah, it was a trip because they had current photographs of, of that house. We lived there from my uh, freshman year. So like 96 until I think 03, mm. maybe 02, I don't remember. But um, no, 03, yeah, because it was when Monster Squad started touring, it was 03. But um that bedroom now is, you know, it's, you know, it's redone. It's got fresh drywall. It looks pretty. The windows aren't single pane, broken glass. Like when we lived there, it was really a, a kind of a 
it was just a trip to see that room. That was my bedroom. It was the, actually the um, spare like family room, like guest room. Mm. So that bedroom went to the backyard and it went to the garage okay. and there was sliding doors. And that was the kitchen because it was a three bedroom house with three kids. So at some point I moved out of one of the bedrooms into the fam, the extra family room, basically. Right. So that my, my brother and sister can have their own bedroom. So it was great. Cause I had this big ass room. I mean, I had my drum set set up in there. I had a giant couch, queen size bed, a desk, my record player, um, posters of the wazoo. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's where they shot that thing. Yeah. That's pretty funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, man, Hey, it's, uh, I'm really stoked to hear about like all this, you know, uh, stuff with like the, the bands that you've been in and you know, what, what inspired you to get into photography, um, wanted to move on to a couple mm-hmm. of yeah. last questions that I tend to ask everyone. The first one is, um, you know, who are some bands that, uh, you think people should have on their radar right now? So thankfully you gave me a heads up on this. Cause I will, I would have gone completely blank right now. I'm just going to go down a list that I kind of sure. wrote. Oh, also, sorry. Let's back up a little teeny bit. I did want to kind of plug, if you will, uh, on the tip of photography and art, things like that. Um, a couple of folks that have pretty much like uh, just dedicated themselves to, I don't say like managing, but promoting punk art and uh, making it accessible to people in the world. Um, there's a, a, two folks named Farida and Craig Vincent. Um, the company's called Destroy Art, Destroy Art Inc. Um, I guess since this is about some of my photography, I can just go, well, hey, you can buy some of my prints on there, which is cool and all. Um, and it's, it's a really weird confidence booster and like, oh, cool, people appreciate your art. But also it's bringing lots of attention to lots of legends who, you know, um, could always get uh, extra attention uh, or brought into like the newer, younger world of underground art and punk. Edward Culver, photographer, uh, Winston Smith, of course. Um, uh, so anyway, whatever it's worth, probably the wrong, most random spot to throw out a shout out to destroy art. But uh, if you're looking for cool art, uh, there you go. Okay. Sorry for that. That's all right. Yeah. Tangent. I'll add, I'll add the links to everything like with uh, sure. in cool. the, the video. But mm-hmm. so bands. Okay. Okay. Here's the list. Okay. Screaming fists from Oakland. Well, and now Sacramento because I hear one of those members might've moved around the corner from me. Oh. Yep. Uh, Cinderblock from Boston. Some old friends. Um, newer, newer band. Lumpen. L-U-M-P-E-N from Barcelona by way, I believe, of Colombia, but they all live in Barcelona. The other cool thing is we had met one of these guys when Monster Squad was out there on tour. I forget where. I think in Paris. Super rad and really cool to hear like, oh, we never thought you'd see you guys and who you are kind of situation always very flattering to hear and then when they're super nice and then when they go hey check out my band and holy shit their band fucking rips um just yeah noisy fast type stuff the kind of the kind of band that should play at manic relapse in oakland for sure kind of in the vein of confuse anyway lumpen great um sectarian bloom which is from oakland another great kind of post-punk style band oxy as well of course duh Sacramento, Las Pulgas, super freaking good. However, I think they may have disbanded. So that's very sad. Um, Very, very politically active band. Definitely don't preach and don't do anything about it, which I can always appreciate. Um, Never really been in hyper, hyper, like politically motivated bands, but of course it's always an undertone as it should be. So when people people, uh, show up to protests and raise money for things and donate time to whatever they can, and it's in their lyrics. Always have to, to represent that. Um, Phil from Monster Squad has a new band called Love, L-U-V, which is great. It's like that short, D-beat, fast Swedish hardcore type stuff that I was like, oh man, Phil, this would have been great to play in, with a band with you and, and do these things. Um, uh, Dorsey, who plays in Bill's Airplanes, uh, is playing bass in that band too. Um, yeah, I've, uh, heard, I've heard some of the songs. It's yeah. Badass. Yeah. yeah, it's brutal. It's just brutal, heavy stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, Jay Zone, this hip hop guy from New York, has an LP called Fish and Grits that I got. This is probably a little bit older, five, six or so years ago. Um, but one of the songs that always sticks out to me is he's definitely like one of those, he wants to call out phony rappers. 
So the short version of that is go back to selling weed. <laughs> Say no more. Anyway, that album rips. Jay Zone, Fish and Grits, uh, Shit Coffins from the Bay, Burial Order from Sacramento. Honestly, not because you're here, but the middle, middle aged queers tinge, fucking solid. I mean, I bought a T-shirt, got the patch, stickers on my wall. Like that, that album is so good, so damn good. Um, it and it's also flattering too because Sean like rocks a whole hog shirt, um, mm-hmm. uh, which I was like, oh, you're like, you, oh, that's that rules because I'm also wearing your middle aged queers shirt and I wear it all the time. My favorite long sleeves, um, rooftops, uh, acoustic type stuff from Boston. Rufio, he's played in a bunch of the bands out from the Boston area, the Unseens, the Global Threat, um, blah blah blah, more and more and more. But that's his like solo thing. He's got a solid LP out that he put out um, called "We Just Pretend This Is a War." And then since we're on the Boston tip, Brian Lothian from a Global Threat. He's the singer is a fucking writing machine and there would not be a record pressing plant in the world that could keep up with putting out his EPs uh, if, if he was so uh, crazy enough to actually try and release all his songs on vinyl. Just records all the stuff in his basement and it's so goddamn good. Um, one of those, one of those, um, can't call it a project, it's just, it's his stuff, it's just, it's his music. I'm pretty sure he plays and records everything. But uh, one of those things you like, Oh, I just want all this on vinyl, but also you and I know it's not a cheap thing to just blast out all these records. So, right. and also on that tip, you know, thank you for putting out the Bill of Serpentine record with us many, many moons ago. Oh, yeah. Many, many moons ago. I still am very, very, I think we're still very, we are very proud of that album. And um, we knew you were taking a big risk on us. And yeah, so thank you for that. Yeah. Dude, honestly, I, I, absolutely love that record from top to bottom i i'm thanks man i i just i hope that people you know will will grab it and you know <laughs> and they'll love it and it's the it's available you know i mean it's, it's a sleeper it's a, you know it's still sleeping it's waiting for um that one kid to, who who never would have thought and now he's now he runs a big label and he's going to repress it and <laughs> our copies are going to be worth at least 25 dollars at that point <laughs> right no, dude. I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked <laughs> to have. I'm stoked to have been a part of it. I think it's a really great record. I think you guys. Uh, I mean, you guys are a great band. I mean, I know that you guys like Thanks. aren't necessarily officially like done, but never like, will be. I think. Yeah. I mean, there's a yeah. there's a whole other album, eighty percent done, or well, maybe not that much, but there's a Dropbox folder filled with fourteen songs just sitting there. Like, all right, well, whenever you guys are down to get together, you know, kind of situation. And yeah, that was our first. That was my first time recording with Jack Shirley too, which was really cool. Which is yeah. a whole other conversation we found ourselves playing a show with comadre and um loma prieta up mm-hmm. in seattle and uh yeah started picking his brain and like yeah you're the guy for the next thing we want to go somewhere new but yeah, yeah. that's great <laughs> for sure but no, that's, that's, that's my that's, list that's a great list yeah, yeah. um i'll definitely you know check out as many of those bands as i possibly can if not all of them uh, uh i'd love for you to send that to me actually so I can yeah well i was just gonna say oh. yeah i typed it out on an apple note Ooh, nice. <laughs> Fancy. But uh, yeah, thank you for that. And I hope yeah. people will check those those bands out. And um, yeah, the last question I really have for you at this point is, you know, I, I like to throw this out to everyone because I'm always genuinely curious. Mm-hmm. If you could only listen to five records for the rest of your life, what would they be? Oh, this, I hate this question. I know, it's I extremely difficult. <laughs> so, um, Filth Blatt's Split. The shit I would say more... Is, is, it's just, but yeah, yeah. Um, primarily the filth side. However, uh, I've grown more in love with the black side as I've gotten older. I liked it when I was younger. Always, I never disliked it, but the filth side overpowered it for me. Hmm. Um, but man, when I hear the scream in, uh, I forget, it's like, what do they put in your drink, Chuck? Or one of the, I don't know. It like, loose pimples, you know? Hmm. Anyway, um, I can't figure out which Dead Kennedy's record my gut wants to go to Fresh Fruit because that was the first album shown to me by Miss Brasher. But Plastic whew, it is a it is a better record. Um, it was, by, from what I understand, the one that they pretty much all wrote together or more so wrote together. But as an adult, Frankenchrist has become my new favorite go-to record. I still mostly skip over At My Job, hmm. the synth-ish style track number nine. Um, but I'm going to, you know... God damn it. I'm going to go with plastic for its diverse music style. M- more diverse than Frankenchrist? I don't know. Um, 
I don't skip over any of the songs. That's the reason. There you go. Okay. I don't skip. I will skip over at my job. Many the track tracks called at my job. Uh, sometimes um, I, I always call like Frankenkreis. You know, you, you know, you're aging into punk when Frankenkreis becomes your new favorite Dead Kennedys record. Not that it's ever been a bad record. It's not. It's just not like the one that people typically like. The first record. Right. Um, I actually have six. So I'm trying to figure out which one to get rid of. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's let's throw let's go for a loop. Tony Allen, Afrobeat, um, he played drums for Fela. Tony Allen, the Source, which is a jazz record that came out, uh, I think, maybe five years ago. I forget. But Tony Allen, the Source, Jesus Christ, that is a phenomenal, phenomenal like jazz Afrobeat type of album. And I, man, he is a drummer. I wish I would have like discovered younger, because. Um, I would never ever say I'm remotely anything close to him, but his playing style and dynamics and weird drags and speed ups uh, speak to me heavily, heavily. If I could throw that shit in a punk song, I would tastefully, of course. Maybe just a little nugget, you know? Um, yeah, so that one. And then, oh, Jesus. So my last three, and I get that puts me at six. You can do six. That's fine. All right. Okay. Anti schism, the whole collection whole fucking thing just give me the whole goddamn cd of uh, all their seven inches and their uh, one lp one split i would say just the still life which is fantastic the still life lp is not on that collection which i've always found very interesting so i will take 75 minutes straight of anti-season every fucking day goddamn i love that band pink floyd metal okay fucking love that album um i gotta balance things out hence the tony allen input and pink floyd um yeah i mean one of these days the opening track on that god damn it that's that's a motherfucker right there um that's such a hot jammer obviously echoes um but anyway also they've got a bunch of dogs barking on that record they're just sitting around a campfire let's record some dogs put them on the album and last one i don't know which subhumans album uh of course i'm torn between eplp let's count that out nope no no eplp that's the easy go-to because that's a lot of times the first record or the day the country died someone gets into i think i'm gonna go the day the country died my other option was from the cradle to the grave but if i'm stuck on an island i don't want to be reminded well it's nothing positive out of either album i don't want to be reminded that i'm just you know going from the cradle to the grave i'm fucking stuck on an island what am i gonna do so i would say the day the country died but maybe the day the country died is how i ended up on an island Either way, I'm fucked. I mean, maybe a heavy you know, reality might be good for you every day. You know, just... Yeah, yeah. You know, The Other Country Died has a few more like upbeat songs that spark some happiness. So let's go to that. Subhumans, final answer, The Other Country Died. And I'm just going to list off my my uh, alternate alternates real quick. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Dredge, El Cielo. Okay, that's a great album. Yeah. Actually, that one should be high up on the list. Honestly, that's a fucking banger. Nirvana in Utero. Okay. Uh, Los Crudos Spitboy, Spitboy Split. Couldn't figure out which Rush album. I was waiting for you to say a Rush album because <laughs> I know how much you love them. So. Yeah, I fucking love Rush, but I couldn't figure out which one. So I just like, I left it out. Uh, Bristol's Pogo to You Puke, which is actually a seven inch Jersey punk band from the 90s. Black Fork, Rot for Loot, okay. Lookout Records. Still a fucking amazing album. Uh, and Green Day Kerplunk, solid record. Yep. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. That's great. I mean, for. It's funny, like so many people I know hate Rush. Hate. Yeah, because they have bad taste in music, probably. Well, see, and that's what I think. It's like I, I don't, I, I don't know where you lost your taste in music, <laughs> but I mean, that's fine, you know. Well, they probably hate Dead Kennedys too. So I love Rush. I love Dead Kennedys. Yeah. I love. They I, hate I, Pink I don't Floyd. love, but I like Mars Volta. But you know what I mean? Like these are all these high pitch, nasally type folks. Like you, they're kind of in the vein of like you love them or you just really don't like them. Bands. Right. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground with Rush. I learned that really, really young. Yeah. We grew up in a Rush household and there's no middle ground with that band. Yeah. You know? I know people that that really just kind of clunk them in with like basically sounding like an overhyped garage band, you know, is oh, like what a lot yeah. of people tend to say. And I'm just like, well, I mean, why is that so bad? You know, I mean, they're really good at what they do. And like, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Totally. Like, I fucking love mm -hmm. Rush and I'm team mm -hmm. Rush all day, but that's. Yep. First That's show I saw, friends, them, I, saw so. them, I saw them with the Melvins at the Cow Palace. 
the hold the on melvin's, melvin's open for rush the melvin's open for rush the oh, cow man. palace in i'm just gonna say 94 it was right before we moved to back of it we lived on treasure island oh wow. and it was it might have been 93 but yeah i was 11 or 12 i forget but it was right pretty sure before we moved to back of and i remember being on the we my dad that dad had gotten floor seats on the you know we weren't too far from them and i just remember seeing king buzzo's hair as like a little kid i was like that guy looks so cool yeah <laughs> you know and then to see him later on i saw him at a small club in sacramento like two years ago yeah and i've seen him a few times i'm not like a huge melvin's fan i think they're awesome but i'm not like i wouldn't call myself a melvin's fan yeah. um but man the show is always so fucking good it was surreal to have him like walk by me and i photographed that show uh in sacramento i was like god damn like i was just a I mean, I was 12 years old when I first saw this person. And here he is in a small, it was just really cool. To like, kind of. Anyway, it is kind of a saying. trip to see bands on like a big arena stage. And then at some point, maybe later, because I've had the same experience where I've seen bands in like these huge arenas, either as mm-hmm. the opening band or even sometimes as like one of the, one of the main acts. Mm-hmm. And then years and years later, you catch them at like Slims or the Great American <laughs> yeah. Music Hall. Yeah. And you're like, wow, like. I mean, the magic's there. It's different. It's, it, but it's, it's just different. Like it feels different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like dude, the Melvins, I I'm with you. Like I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself like a huge fan of theirs at all, but mm-hmm. I'm definitely now a believer having seen oh, them yeah. several times. Oh yeah. I, I get it. I get the obsession. I right. just haven't, you know, it's only so much time in the day. <laughs> I have a yeah. stack of records sitting next to me that I have not got to listen to yet. So. Yeah, I was I was in a so, band yeah. for years with uh, the this guy who his name's James, and he, he's he's the biggest Melvin's fan I think you'll ever find. Like he, he, there's two bands he holds above all all others: the Melvins and Aerosmith. And he will talk mm. at length about both of them with like the highest degree of like enthusiasm, and it's awesome to talk mm-hmm. about it because you can. He's like a kid in a candy store, just like dude, the fucking Melvins and like fucking Aerosmith and it's just exciting <laughs> to get excited with him about this kind of stuff because he cares about it so much and yeah. for years I had no idea what he's talking about with the Melvins because I did I just I, I'm, I just don't listen to him I just don't I'm, I'm glad you like them you know and then like mm-hmm. years, years and years later I finally got a chance to see him in San, San Francisco and I was like okay I'm gonna find out what the Melvins are all about and sure enough man I was just like holy shit this is awesome that's fun <laughs> so yep yeah that live show will do it man and uh yeah on the Aerosmith tip yeah I've been a long time fan of many of their up toys in the attic still rocks my it just fucking jesus christ and first album too but anyway but yeah live show stuff does it ocs are a great example of that mm, i yeah. you know when i first moved to sf some folks i was working with at the vans store would always show me oc this is 2009 2000 yeah 2008 2009 it's like it's just it's kind of boring like recordings are just not that good i just didn't get it and then fast forward i I know, and I know we have to cut this off here soon, but oh. fast forward to a couple of years later, I ended up setting up a show with them at Gilman with Off and Ty Seagal opened up and I had heard the OCs and I went and saw them at that show. It was a show I booked and I was like, holy fuck, I, I get it now. And, you know, let's just say they have a lot of my money. <laughs> the records I bought. So yeah. anyway, the live show did live shows. will do it, man. Bring it live. Always. Totally. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, cool. I miss them dearly and I cannot wait to go to another live show again. Yeah, me yeah. too, man. Me too. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll be able to see whole hog um, before too long. I mean, that would be great. Cause I know that you guys really haven't even played any shows, but you guys did put out a record. It's called radiation blues and it's yes. out on uh, charged records. So if anyone wants to pick that up, you should go and pick that up. It's available on Bandcamp uh, through like just a uh, whole hog punks with an x.bandcamp.com. I'll add the links to everything. Mm-hmm. But not mm-hmm. to mention, Monster Squad has a bunch of stuff available through their Bandcamp. Build Us mm-hmm. Airplanes, you can get from Sell the Heart Records. Mm-hmm. And um, Great Apes as well has stuff available through mm-hmm. Human Records or Bandcamp, et cetera. Um, yep. And then uh, Destroy Art. Uh, Destroy Art. Yep. Dot yep. Com, right? uh, Destroy Art Inc. Dot, Inc. You know, just look up Destroy Art. I'll have the links. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be easy, but um, yeah. And you can pick up your your photography. And Matt, it's been a pleasure having you on the Thanks, show, man. man. Always great to Likewise. catch up with you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. It means a lot. Take care. All right. You too. Bye.